Amen. I want you to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 this morning. And uh, I'm going to use the words of Paul as the title of the message this week, which is Jesus Christ and him crucified. There's so many things we can talk about in this world today and so many opinions about those so many things. But the thing that matters, the thing that matters most for those of us who know the Lord is the cross. The cross that Jesus died on. The crucifixion of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and what that represents. Paul says, I'm going to read two short verses, starting with 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And it says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. And here's where I want you to underline. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, we know Paul was a brilliant man, well-educated. There's many pieces of his mind that he could share with a lot of people. But when he was being an ambassador for the Lord, when he encountered people, when, when he encountered them, he said he decided. They don't need to know how much knowledge I have. They don't need to know how wise I am. They don't need to know how, 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 how good of an orator I am. What they need to know is Jesus Christ and him crucified. I can tell them that they're living their lives wrong. I can tell them that they're on the wrong side of a lot of cultural issues. But it won't do any good if they don't know Jesus. I said it won't do any good if they don't know Jesus. And Paul knew that. Going over to Galatians chapter 6, starting with verse 11, he says, See that what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. You need to be careful what you're hearing from people, who you give your trust to. It better be rooted in the word of God or I don't care how much you enjoy them or how much you respect them. If what they say isn't the word, then you need to throw it away like the trash it is. Because it's the word of God that matters. People's motives aren't always what they seem. But we're going to have to study to show ourselves approved unto God, workmen that need not be ashamed, but able to rightly divide the word of truth because the devil will come with you with the word. But it won't be the word in its true essence. It won't be the word in spirit and truth. It, 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 it will be modified to sound like it's the truth, but it's a lie. And it's meant to pull you into deception and away from God's plan and will for your life. Are you hearing me? And we're going to need to know how to discern that 
and stay and keep the main thing the main thing. So after he leads in with this, he then goes into this and says, but far be it from me to boast. Everybody say boast. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So in those two short verses, Paul decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he said, far be it from him that he would boast in anything except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why boast? It begs the question, why? Why boast in Jesus Christ's horrible crucifixion on a cross? Why boast in the suffering and death of a man? In the suffering and death of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior? Could it be because justice was served? No, it couldn't be that. Because the crucifixion of Jesus wasn't justice, was it? It wasn't justice because he didn't do anything to deserve what he got. The just died for the unjust. It would have been just if we were on that cross. Why boast if it's not justice? If anything, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ was an injustice. So why would Paul boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to explore the reasons why for the remainder of this message. I have about four reasons. And this is by no means meant to be exhaustive, but I have about four reasons. Paul boasted in the cross of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because First of all, he doesn't see a tragic murder where Jesus' life was taken from him despite his every attempt to survive. He wasn't a patsy that ignorantly got murdered without ever seeing what happened. He wasn't someone who was fighting to keep his life and they snatched it from him. Remember, he said, no one takes my life. He sees a savior. That's what he doesn't see. What he sees is a savior who gave himself as ransom to redeem us. Mark 10 verse 45 says this, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Notice it said he came to give his life as a ransom. Not to have his life taken from him. Again, he could have called a legion of angels to handle business on his behalf if he really didn't want to die. If it wasn't the father's plan for him to die, 
he could not have been killed. I want to drive home that point because one of the later reasons it really hits it really hits harder. It really hits deeper when we understand that, you know, we do it a bit of a disservice when we call it murder, even though that's, that's really what it was by the legal term. I want us to not focus on that. I want us to focus on the father and the son. Jesus knew about the conspiracy by the chief priests and the elders to take his life. He knew ahead of time that one of his disciples would join in that conspiracy and betray him. He knew as he was doing all those great miracles and opening the blind eyes and the deaf ears and and, and healing everybody and, and casting out devils, he knew that the reason he was on this earth was to die for the sins of men. So much so, and he was so committed to it that when he shared it with his disciples and Peter took exception to it because it was out of a heart of love. Far be it from you, you shall not suffer that. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. And it wasn't a slight against Peter. It's just that he shared with the disciples the plan and will of God the Father. The redemption plan of man. That he was to be the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. He shared that. And as much as Peter loved him and didn't want to even think about him suffering those things, it was needful for us to be reconciled to God. And that lets us know that our feelings need to be subjected to the will and word of God. Because how we feel about someone or how we feel about things can can tempt us to go into disobedience and go against the plan of God that we ought to be promoting and walking in accordance with. What he meant but when he said to Peter was in that moment, your statement, even though it came from a heart that passionately loved Jesus, what you heard was the will of God. And you need to have a not my will but yours be done attitude when it comes to the will of God. And when you said, far be it from me that I would suffer that which God the Father has declared and commanded be so, at that moment you partnered with Satan and his plan to thwart the salvation plan of God. And so he called it what it is. Get thee behind me, Satan. That, 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 that's the doctrine of the devil right there. Because he's the one that don't want this. So your feelings are partnering with him, but it's time for you to put those feelings in check and get in faith here. Amen? And so he came to give his life. He gave it. It wasn't taken from him. And he gave it to be a ransom for you and for me. We weren't alive when Jesus was crucified. But we are still responsible for it. Because you know why? My sin and your sin, all of our sins put him there. All of our sins made it necessary for him to go to the cross. Because the wages of sin is death. That sin has to be paid for. And apart from the, apart from the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin.
And so he came to be our remission of sin. Galatians 3, starting at the 13th verse, says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. We were cursed apart from Christ, condemned to spend eternity separated from God. And there was nothing you and I could ever do. Because as long as the law determined whether or not you were going to be right with God or not, we never had a chance for salvation because we could not perfectly fulfill the law. The sin nature in us made it impossible. And if you violated any part of it, you were guilty of it all. Are you hearing me? So we were cursed, but Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He stepped in in our place and became our ransom. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, praise the Lord, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. I'm going to say again, he gave himself as a ransom to redeem us. Jesus said of himself in John 10, starting at the 14th verse, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And we're going to have to acknowledge that. And we're going to have to proclaim that and, and put it in its proper perspective. He gave his life for us. He laid it down of his own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. You know, many of y'all may remember the story in, in, in Exodus chapter 12. I didn't, don't worry about trying to go there. I didn't give you it on purpose. When God had sent Moses to Pharaoh to give him the command to let his people go, Pharaoh resisted. The Bible says God hardened his heart most powerful man on the earth at that point, God was about to show that man's power, man's might is nothing in the face of God. And, 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 and man's might and, and man's power and, and, and a corrupt government and, and whatever, none of that can stop God from redeeming his own. None of that can stop God from delivering his people. And so God chose the most difficult of circumstances to show forth his might and power, his ability to save to the utmost. Pharaoh resisted after plague, after plague, after plague, and then finally, God decides he's going to take the firstborn throughout all the kingdom of Egypt. 
And he gives instructions for all the the people of God to slaughter a lamb, take some hyssop, sprinkle some blood on the lintel and the doorposts, sacrifice the lamb, consume it, eat it, leave nothing left. And if anything was left, burn it in the morning. It says that when the destroyer would come around, Every door, every door that had the blood sprinkled on it from the lamb without blemish and without spot, he would pass over that door and go to the, and go to the next one. And throughout the entire kingdom, man and animal, the firstborn died that night. But the destroyer passed over the people of God, those who had slaughtered the lamb, and sprinkled his blood on the doorpost. And the Bible refers to Jesus as the Lamb of God. He is the Lamb of God. And in Jesus, he is that Lamb, just like the Lamb, the blood of the Lamb caused the destroyer to pass over the houses of Israel in that 12th chapter of Exodus. The judgment of God the condemnation of God, the curse of the law passes over us because of the slaughtering of the Lamb of God and the shedding of his blood. The fact that, that, that his blood now covers us, has washed us whiter than snow. Instead of God's judgment, we have his forgiveness. Instead of his judgment, we have his love. We have his grace, his mercy, his salvation. What used the curse that used to be upon us is now passed over. And that's what it symbolizes in Matthew 26. I'm not going to read a few verses here, but when Jesus had the, basically had communion, they celebrated the Passover with his disciples. He was doing it as the lamb that was going to be sacrificed. Just like they had to do in Exodus 12, they had to consume the lamb. They had to bleed the lamb. And they had to sprinkle the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. Jesus is saying here in Matthew 26, verse 26, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. We know it's not really his body, but it symbolizes something. See, spiritually, he's the lamb of God. You're going to have to eat. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. All of that reveals Jesus as our Redeemer who ransomed us. So when Paul focuses on the cross, He's seeing 
He's thinking, he's meditating on, he's recognizing the cross in all of its significance. He's not, he's not seeing it with natural eyes. That's one of the reasons he focuses so strongly on the cross. These people don't need to know what I'm capable of as much as they need to know what's been done for them by Christ Jesus on an old rugged cross in Calvary. And you know, that hasn't changed today. We can get lost in the sauce. We can get lost in individual battles and whatnot. But I tell you what, unless the Lord build the house, they who labor, labor in vain. And, and we can continue to try and advance initiatives and try to push and move stuff forward. But, but we better be careful. What we better be advancing is the Lord our God. What we better be advancing is the gospel message and what Jesus did for us on the cross. Are you hearing me? Another thing he sees when he considers the cross is the mercy of God granted to us on the cross. Luke 6, verses 36 and 37 say this, Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. But it's a command to be, starts off with a command to be merciful. Why? Even as your father is merciful. I love the fact that we have God's grace, unmerited favor, but I also love the fact that because of God's great mercy, we don't get what we deserve. And, 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 we, and we need to appreciate that. Second uh, Peter 3.9 also says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. It, the word mercy isn't used here, but this entire verse speaks of the mercy of God. You know, from a human standpoint, sometimes I just get fed up. I get tired, and I think, God, you ought to just take care of that guy right now. I have no problem going there. And each time that I go there, I'm wrong. Because God is the one who fights my battles, and God is the judge, right? It's my job to walk with him in humility, justly, humbly before my God, to love mercy, right? To exemplify his godly qualities in me. So my job is to pursue him and allow him to grow in me, for me to decrease more and more so that he can increase more and more in me. So that when those guys who frustrate me, who in the past I've been tempted to say, God, get them, I can chill out and let God do, let God be on his throne and I focus on what God requires of me and how I need to honor him in this moment, despite the frustrations from other people. 
Because, God, they need to see an ambassador of yours in me. They need to see something in me that, 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 that's not, that's, that's outside the norm. Something peculiar. How is it that this guy still forgives me after all the things I've said and done to him? How is it that he can still have such patience with me when I have been as obtuse and as difficult as I possibly can? What is it? What's with this guy? At some point, God's going to use that, and it's going to help break whatever the hard crust is on that individual's heart. And God's going to set the hook and bring him in, and the next thing you know, he'll be saying, what must I do to be saved? But we're going to have to be willing to be as patient and as merciful to others as God has been to us. So he sees the mercy of God granted to us in the cross. So that's two things we've got right now. We see um, how he, in the cross he sees a Savior who has given himself as a ransom to redeem us. He sees the mercy of God to us in the cross. Another thing he sees is the love of God bestowed upon us in the cross. The love of God bestowed upon us in the cross. Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5 say this, But God, everybody say, but God. Being rich in mercy. So this could have gone in the mercy category, but it's in the love category. Had to make an an executive decision. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You know, the grace that has been extended to us is rooted in his great love toward us. Hallelujah. And of course, can't talk about God's love without bringing up this scripture in John 3. I'm going to, instead of just reading John 3, 16, I'm going to read all the way to 19. And it says, for God so loved, say loved. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's why he sent him. And you know, that's the message we've got to make sure the world hears. And as many of them who would be saved, we need to give them every opportunity to be saved. And we need to be persistent, persistent, persistent in sharing the gospel. Because it's going to take a while for for, for some to humble themselves. But as long as it takes we need to be diligent and be willing to, uh, to obey God in that. So that whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. There's no in-between. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. 
And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. You know, I I talked with several people this week. Uh, My darling wife, Christy, uh, uh, Steve, Irby, Dale, uh, man, uh, Johnny, and before he left for Ohio. I, I, I was thinking about doing a message on, I intended to, as a matter of fact, doing a message on the men who crucified Jesus. It started with the man who crucified Jesus. And I wanted to do it from the standpoint of the centurion and his, the people who were under him. These people who were responsible for nailing him to that cross and, and watching over him as his life ebbed away. And because of all the signs, and I'm sure how Jesus conducted himself on the cross, they observed a lot of things. These secular people, these Gentile people, these Roman soldiers, and a thief on the cross, both of which started mocking him after he died, acknowledged that he, the, the, the soldier, the Roman soldier says, surely, He was the son of God. A thief suffering the same fate as Jesus, crucified on the cross right beside him. Spent the first couple of hours, the first few hours mocking him right along with the thief that was on the other side of Jesus. But something in the middle of his suffering Something changed his perspective. Something shifted his paradigm. Something caused the revelation of who Jesus was to to manifest in this man's heart to where he shut down the other thief and used what was left of his life to humble himself to Jesus. Two men nailed on the cross and said, Lord, will you come into your kingdom? Remember me. How can a guy start off getting crucified right beside him and people who are saying, hey, if you're really who you say you are, get yourself and us off our crosses. How can people who start mocking him by the, by the time he draws, before he draws his, his, his last breath, the guy who was going to die that day with him has a change of heart and acknowledges him as Lord. He didn't say, hey man, if what you say is true, can you hook me up too? No, he humbled him. Lord, when you come into your kingdom, he didn't have a sermon preached to him, but he was right there in the presence of Jesus. And enough happened that he became convinced that Jesus is exactly who he was. Even though he was dying, he was being killed for saying it, he was exactly who he said he was. And I don't know what that man's pursuit in life was, what empty endeavors he engaged in, whatever it was. 
He acknowledged in that moment that there was only one who could satisfy the gaping void in his, in his soul. And he gave his life to Jesus. I, I, I was going to, man, I was going to burn Caiaphas, Pilate, the chief priests and the elders, so many, the Judas, all of them had a part. The crowd that, that, that chose Barabbas to, to be set free instead of Jesus, all of them had a hand to play in that crucifixion of Jesus. I had a mind to do it. But at the end of the day, at the end of the week, I felt like, well, God doesn't want to focus on the faults of people. Doesn't want to focus on people's pride or jealousy or political ambitions or, or whatever they might be. What did Paul focus on? Did he focus on all that? No, he focused on the cross. Instead of highlighting the faults of people who helped put him there, let's focus on what the cross represents and why he willingly went there. Because really at the end of the day, unless he willingly yielded himself to it, there's not a thing that any of them could have done to put him on that cross. And it begs the question, why would he do that? What was his motivation? And that's what we're endeavoring to do. And I believe that's really what God wants it highlighted today. For God's mercy, God's love. We need to honor him for his willingness to ransom himself. A lot of times when somebody is kidnapped and they, and, and they won't ransom they, they don't want you in place of the person that they got most times. They, they, they want something valuable. They want money. They want, they're banking on the fact that that person means so much to you that you would give anything that you have in your possession to get that person back. And, and, and in light of that, with that picture in our minds, that should, that should show you the love of God and how much God treasures you and I. Right? Because we were because we were held hostage. And there was not a dollar figure, there's not enough money in the world that was gonna pay our hostage holder enough for us to be redeemed. It had to be. God Himself had to come down, take on human flesh, and pay the penalty. And, he, and we mean that much to him. We mean so much to him that he would put on the filth of human flesh. Subject himself to temptation by the one he cast out of heaven. Subject himself in, in the midst of this perverse society have be friendly to and be a mentor to 
a man he knew would stab him in the back. Be a faithful friend to his disciples that he knew would run and scatter on him. To love Peter, even though he knew Peter would deny him. To be falsely accused, to be mocked, to be spat on, to be beaten beyond recognition, to have his flesh torn off his body, and to be nailed to a cross like a common criminal and to die the most excruciating death imaginable at the time. He knew he was going to go through all of that, and yet he willingly subjected himself to it. Because that's how much he loves us. And the Bible says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured it. It was a joy to him. He says, you know, it's not a pleasure to suffer this. this it's painful. We, we, we read about in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And there was that struggle there. And yet, he resolved in him that it wasn't going to be his will that won over, but the will of the Father. And he set his face like flint, and he went to the cross for you and I. And I will finish with the last of the list that I have. Maybe you'll find more. The fourth thing that I believe Paul sees is the forgiveness of God granted to us in the cross of Jesus Christ. So, I'll just recap. He sees a Savior who gave himself as ransom to redeem us. He sees the mercy of God granted to us in the cross. He sees the love of God bestowed upon us in the cross. And he sees God's forgiveness toward us in the cross. Ephesians 4 verse 32 says this. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You know, forgiveness isn't just a suggestion. It isn't just a neat thing to do. It's the command of God. He doesn't want us to worry about whether or not he will forgive us. He, he sent his son, Jesus, to die for us when we were still sinners. Christ died for us when not one of us was redeemed. We were sinners. If there was ever a justification for him not to forgive us, it would have been in the condition that we were in. Sinners. And yet, he died and he forgave us. 
He was the victim of the sinful hearts of man as he hung on that cross. And yet, he still loved us enough and walked in forgiveness toward us enough that he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So even as he is in agony, even as he is in pain, even as his life is ebbing away because we put him there, he's still praying to the Father to forgive us. And he tells us to forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. So this may not be something that everybody wants to hear. Because we get to that question at some point, you know, we, we subscribe to that saying that, hey, you fooled me once, shame on you. Fool me once, shame on me. You won't get it a third time or something like that, right? And I'm not saying be foolish. It's not about whether or not you continue to put your trust or put your heart in the hands of someone who is not going to treasure it. The choice isn't that. The choice is whether or not you forgive what they've done. You're making that choice whether or not you're going to obey God in that or rebel against him in it. Forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. If he forgave us our sins, and he also says in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God say, confess it with a repentant heart. Confess. You don't even have to worry. Forgiveness is yours. Do that to one another. If that's not you, then I'm going to challenge you and tell you that it ought to be you. If that's not you, then you're not obeying God. You're walking in rebellion to him in that area. If there's somebody you've just chosen not to forgive or you feel you cannot forgive, this word tells me, yes, you can if you're willing to. Because God wouldn't tell you to do it if you, had, if you were unable to do it. So be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Jeremiah 31, verses 33 and 34 Say this, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law. This is the new covenant here, y'all. We're new covenant fellowship. This is the new covenant. Dale says that. He said it a thousand times if he said it once. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, for the least of them, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity. And I will remember their sins no more. See, in this new covenant, God has done everything that needs to be done. It, it, it doesn't depend on our performance. Our salvation isn't performance-based. 
It is by grace through faith. And it is that way because of the great love by which he loves us. Jesus did for us what we could not do. Those of us who were born into sin were slaves to it. Sin was our master. The sin nature made it impossible for us to obey the righteous law of God. But the Bible says the law was always just supposed to be a tutor, a schoolmaster. It was supposed to point us, it's supposed to help us acknowledge the fact that we were insufficient to be able to get salvation because it was something that was unearnable. And it was supposed to appoint them to the coming Messiah who would be the fulfillment of the law and through him the promise of God was going to be made available to the, to, to the Jews and to the Gentiles. The Old Testament depended on our performance. We had to obey the law or be condemned by it. Don't get me wrong. The law is still the law. And we are still accountable to God to obey his word. But our salvation is not tied to the law. Our salvation is tied to the cross. I don't know where you started in life. I don't know what you've done. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what your struggles are. Maybe you, maybe you live a self-centered life where everything revolves around you. Maybe you're prideful. Maybe you're ultra-ambitious and you want the world on a silver platter. Maybe you are a womanizer, a drunkard, an addict. I don't know. But what I do know is what Jesus did for you on the cross. And I know that there is salvation for you in him. I know that there is redemption for you in him. And I, and, and, and I know how much he loves you. I know that he paid the ransom for you. So you may not consider yourself worthy. You may not think God values you very much. And I... Uh, with all due respect to that little devil that's on your shoulder whispering into your ear, I want to tell you that he is lying to you. Jesus died for us while everyone was still sinners. And you might be a sinner here today. I hope you are inspired. I hope you are humbled. I hope you recognize the real heart of our God the true heart and motivation of the Savior whose name we're called after. He loves you. 
He made himself a ransom for you. He forgives you. He wants to have mercy on you. And I would not be loving you well if I didn't tell you that today is your decision day. Whatever your reasons for not humbling yourself and, 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 and bowing the knee to Christ and recognizing him and declaring him Lord and Savior of your life, whatever your reasons have been before today, my prayer is that today the buck stops here. For you are without excuse. The word has been shared to you that your past is not a hindrance to God. That God doesn't have a heart to want to judge you. It says he's not slack as men count slackness, but he's long-suffering. He's patient. Because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come into repentance. That's his heart. He loves you. He wants you. He gave his son for you. And Jesus didn't have his life taken. He gave it as ransom to redeem you. Now, with that kind of love, with God going to such lengths to make a way for you to be reconciled to him, how can we not respond with yes, Lord, to that kind of love? Here's your opportunity today, and and I'm going to invite anyone who has any doubt about their relationship with the Lord. If you have never given your heart to Jesus, I want you to come. I want you to come now and give me the honor of leading you to Christ. It will be my privilege and my honor, and it will all glory would be to God. Whether you've never known him or even if you're backslidden and under the, you're being convicted by the Holy Spirit and you need to acknowledge your wrongdoing before God and come and repent and say, Lord, here I am. I'm returning. I tried it my own way. I now know what it what the prodigal son felt like. But I'm here and I'm ready to confess. Because the the pastor said, he quoted first John 1 9 that says, If I confess my sins, you're faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. If that's you today, please come. We have a responsibility to respond to God's truth in humble obedience. And join me in prayer, please, if everyone would bow your head. And if during prayer you're so inspired to come, please, please come. He 
died openly. He was made a public spectacle of public shame and public mockery, public suffering, public piercing, public death for our sake. The least that we can do is make a public proclamation that we humble ourselves and bow the knee and declare him Lord and Savior of our lives. Hallelujah. Father God, your word says in 1 Peter chapter 2 that about Jesus that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we've been healed. For we were straying like sheep, but we've now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. I thank you, Father God, for the redemption that we have in Christ. I thank you for the cross. And Father God, I pray that you would so convict us and motivate us in the same manner that Paul was. Help us to see the cross as he saw it. Help us to glory or boast in Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross. Not necessarily in how many people we've witnessed to, not many not necessarily in how many people we've laid hands on and and they've been healed. Those are good things, Lord. But those aren't the things that we should be boasting in. Those things in and of themselves aren't sufficient to save a soul. The only thing sufficient for that is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Revive us, your church, O oh God, to that truth. Quicken our hearts. Awaken us from our slumber. Give us that passion, Father God, to, to declare Jesus Christ and him crucified and, 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 and what that means as far as the salvation of the Lord is concerned. We want to be faithful servants of the gospel that you have in, with the gospel that you have entrusted us. Let our boast be in nothing except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And may you be exalted above all in us and through us. And Lord, by faith, I thank you for the people who are going to be reached as the sons and daughters of God who are within the sound of my voice have heard and, and, and you're, you're dealing with them where they're seated right now. I just thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're going to lead and guide them into walking in accordance with this truth. And I know that there's going to be much fruit that gets born out of it, Lord. 
that there are lives that are going to be changed, that there are people who are going to give their lives to the Lord. And so people are going to get saved. Their names are going to be written in the Lamb's book of life. They're going to spend eternity with the God of their salvation rather than spending eternity, eternity separated from him. And so I, de I just declare that by faith, and I thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.